We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet. Inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. He is McCaffrey. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded. And welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Billy Marshall, and unfortunately, my co-host John Ellis cannot be here tonight, so I will be recapping the Panthers' 25-17 loss over the Atlanta Falcons. This was a good opportunity to see how this coaching staff would deal with a short week, especially against an opponent they played a few weeks ago, which uh, they had a success against. Um, And... Unfortunately now for the Panthers, they were not able to capitalize on that because Atlanta, I mean, most observers would say this, thoroughly dominated this game despite the score being relatively close in the end. And and let's get into it. Atlanta outgained Carolina by nearly 100 yards. I mean, the yards per play was pretty even, 5.9 to 5.8, but Carolina was aided by... Uh, the Dante Jackson interception and Jackson despite having that interception probably did not have one of his better games the first two plays of the game Atlanta gained 52 yards on on easy receptions for Julio Jones and both of those came against 
Dante, who should have done a better job of uh, not only just matching up better, but driving hard on the ball so he could really make it difficult for Jones at the catch point. Usually, Jones will be favored in those situations, but you always want to give yourself a chance despite that. And and so just regardless of what happened on those first few plays, Atlanta decided to kick a field goal on fourth and inches, which I found baffling. Um, but to Carolina's credit, they were able to get the ball after the kickoff and score on Curtis Samuel 12-yard touchdown run. That's his second touchdown run of the week. And I think what you're seeing now is, uh, especially under Joel Brady, they're using Samuel much more as a tra- traditional running back. Uh, this wasn't always the case. If you remember in 2018 when Samuel had you know, that crazy, there was a crazy statistic that he had in 2018 where he had like four touchdowns on like 12 touches or something insane. I can't remember the exact ratio, but most of his touchdowns back then came on reverses or swing passes and um, a little bit like a decoy in some way. But now you're seeing him um, use not only just as that decoy was able to get reverses and get upfield, but also as a running back too. So uh, I thought it was a very good game for Curtis Samuel. And again, you're seeing his just his presence really helped the team. Uh, and so, I mean, it was 7-3 to three at that point. And then, again, Atlanta gets the ball back, and they methodically go down the field. They face a second and eight from their own 44. Uh, and then they go, again, deep middle of the field. Julio Jones, 20 yards. Dante Jackson in coverage again. Um, I mean, it, was, it just became way too easy for Atlanta, especially in this first half. And then uh, Carolina, again, held them to a field goal, made it 7-6. to six. Um, and then a couple of drives later, the Panthers get the interception and um, a really nice flea flicker uh, touchdown to Curtis Samuel. Uh, the throw, I thought, was even more impressive. Probably Bridgewater's best throw of the game. And then from there, it was 14-6. to But as soon as that, that happened, um, I just felt like Carolina, or excuse me, Atlanta just took over the game. And, I mean, it wasn't really encouraging uh, just to see the defense get completely like flat on their foot for the pretty much in run in the run game and in the pass game. I mean, Todd Gurley he certainly didn't have as good of a game as, as good of a game as he had in Atlanta, but Brian Hill nearly rushed for five yards of carry, and he was just finding openings. And let's not get 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 into Matt Ryan. He had twenty seven yards rushing, and he obviously scored that scrambled TD. So, you know, after that, the second half was uh, pretty interesting. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater did get injured uh, on a pretty dirty hit. I'm, I'm mad at. I, I mean, there was really no reason for uh, Dante Fowler and Charles Harris to, you know, pull off that kind of ridiculous those hits. I mean, I'm glad they got disqualified, but both of those players should at least face some type of fine or suspension. Uh, you know, P.J. Walker, he came in and, you know, I mean, he certainly put a lot of juice behind his throws, uh, you know, which is surprising. You look at him on the field, he looks just so skinny and scrawny. But, uh, you know, that led to a Carolina field goal. Um, at that point, it, they made the score 22-17, uh, to 17, or excuse me, um, what was the score by that point? Sorry. 19-17. There you go. Yep, 19-17. So they made the score 19-17. Atlanta gets the ball back. They go on a pretty long drive. And they were just able to run the ball 
uh, Asunchi at this point. I mean, Gurley for three yards, Matt Ryan for 10 yards, Hill for 14 yards, Gurley for four yards. I mean, their longest play on this drive was a 12-yard uh, throw to Hayden Hurst. So, again, it was just methodical from Atlanta. And Dirk Cutter is not the most, or excuse me, yes, Dirk Cutter, their offensive coordinator, is not the most exciting coordinator. And you hear a lot of complaints from Atlanta fans about him. Uh, but, I mean, it, it just became so easy. And we'll get into this a little later. Um, but just Carolina's defensive line just getting dominated at the point of attack was just poor. And I, I don't think it was an issue in the previous weeks. For some reason, I think it's it's just happening now. And I'm, I'm curious to see why that's the case. So Carolina does get the ball back. Atlanta has a pretty decent drive from about eight minutes to three minutes. They take about five minutes off the clock. Carolina gets the ball about 258. And they really did not do well getting up the field. There was a lot of checkdowns and intermediate throws. Uh, this, coincidentally, um, this drive had the first targets for DJ Moore. Uh, he caught two of them. Uh, the first being the 13-yard out route that he caught. Then he caught the 42-yard deep ball, which was underthrown. Uh, but Moore made a nice adjustment. So, uh, I mean, it was nice to see him on the stat sheet. And then, obviously, the the other two uh, targets came at the end of the game, the end of that drive where uh, there was an incompletion to Moore, and then the interception was a target towards him too, which um, I'm not sure what Teddy saw there, but um, not a great throw. Probably his worst throw. Than that. I thought Teddy Bridgewater was fine in this game. I mean, he wasn't spectacular. Uh, you know, I'm sure the injury had something to do with it as well. Um, but, I mean, it was an okay game for Bridgewater. I mean, certainly the week previous to this, um, he played much better. Uh, so, and I want to get into this now with the offense. Th there does seem to be a lot of blame being passed around with the amount of pressure Atlanta was able to get. And th this is a little bit concerning from a couple of different reasons, okay? The first reason is that Atlanta's pass rush is not very good, especially because McKinley didn't even play. And on top of that, you had Charles Harris, one of their guys, get, I, I believe Harris was the one who got ejected, or if I'm not, then it was Fowler. One of those two got ejected. So Atlanta's already down a few defensive players, and I totally get that Grady Jarrett is a monster, but I think Carolina's offensive line, pound for pound, should not be having issues with that level of competition. And a few guys, uh, Taylor Moten, I've been singing his praises all season. He didn't have a great game in pass protection. He did allow three pressures. Um, I mean, again, we I think we saw the rotation at left tackle between Trent Scott and Greg Little. I think Greg Little at this point should not play again. And, I mean, he only played 23 snaps. Scott played 31. Little in 23 snaps gave up two hurries. And he just, he, his pass block grade, according to Pro Football Focus, was 12.7. And... I've made my point about Chris Reed. There's really not much else I can say about him. Uh, I mean, John Miller, he probably had the better game out of anyone. I mean, Trent Scott did. He looked good. So I'll give him credit for that. And, and and this is what I was alluding to a little bit earlier. I see a lot of people just blaming Matt Paradis for a lot of the issues that occurred because a lot of those blitzes that they brought to Atlanta, um, they were all just A-gap pressures with their linebackers, Deion Jones, or well, their other linebackers. And, 
everyone just for some reason decided to blame Paradis. And I, I again, I don't think Paradis played great. I mean, 64.8 pass blocking grade is nothing to write home about, but I think it's a larger discussion about who deserves blame on the offensive line. And I saw just a lot of tweets and co- like complaints after the game that, oh, Carolina, they better like invest this much money into their offensive line and this many draft picks. I just don't think it's that simple because a few of the sacks, first of all, are not only on the quarterback, but also on the running back. And Mike Davis was not good in pass protection, and he usually is. So that was a little discouraging. And Jeff Schwartz, um, former offensive lineman in the NFL and now does a really good job on Twitter, one of the sacks was actually Teddy Bridgewater's fault because he didn't identify one of the oncoming blitzers that Mike Davis or one of the uh, tight ends to block. And then another one I believe he pointed out was because of one of the safeties or corners coming on the blitz, uh, Bridgewater should realize that he has a hot route, which he did, but he decided to hold on to the ball. And there's an analytics saying that's been percolating for the past couple of years that sacks are a QB stat. And I think I agree with it, um, especially because it's not like Bridgewater didn't have time to throw the ball in this game because he did. And, and that's a little bit concerning, I guess. Um, overall, I thought he threw the ball fine. I mean, like I said, I mean, it wasn't one of his better games at all. I mean, he was average for the most part, but I think the issue now becomes how do we deal with, how does the protection hold up? And it's not just on the talent of the offensive line. Sure, yeah, sure, I would love to have an offensive line that featured five first-round picks, but that's just not feasible in the modern NFL. So what needs to be done now is the coaching and the schematic um, issues that's rising really needs to be correct. And we saw it occur against the Saints too. So hopefully leading up to this week against the Chiefs and beyond, they really put in a protection scheme that communication is there. The quarterback is finding his hot route quickly. The running backs are doing their job in pass protection and you know, the communication it's, it's becomes a lot more efficient. And, I mean, this shouldn't be happening, especially in a um, I mean, situation where you're playing with, like, essentially no fans. <laughs> I mean, if this was New Orleans in 2019 in the Superdome where it's 80,000 fans, then sure, I can understand some of those communication issues, but not in 2020 where there's barely anyone in the stadium. Um, now, just moving across the offense a few people after the game they made some comments about DJ Moore and Teddy Bridgewater and they were essentially saying that DJ didn't deserve to feel left out by Bridgewater and again I'm not sure I entertain that I just think that the coverage that Atlanta showed towards Moore was a lot more respect and again we have to remember the previous week against the Saints DJ essentially went off so I'm not sure it's anything personal with Bridgewater not targeting DJ. I just thought Atlanta did a pretty decent job. AJ Terrell had a good game for them. Um, and Samuel, he was the one getting open. Robbie Anderson, we, we know he can get open. And so I'll have to go back and watch the All-22 again. I've seen bits and pieces here and there. But, I mean, I thought Samuel and Moore were pretty good. And Ian Thomas, he had a pretty good game, especially catching the ball. Um, certainly one of his more productive games. And you know, as far as the 
other skilled players go. Uh, Mike Davis, I thought he had a, a relatively fine game. I mean, nothing too crazy. Uh, 13 carries for 66 yards, pretty efficient, and he did have you know one reception for 11 yards and I, I do I would like to see probably I would have liked to see more um, you know schematic targets towards the running back so there's like a Texas route you know a wheel routes um, you know flare route something to get them involved so I mean it, it was a mediocre day for the offense especially against a defense in Atlanta that's not very good in again I'm not sure how much of that is attributed to just the Thursday night game, the short week, just everything being out of sync and how much credit Atlanta deserves. And I mean, Atlanta's defense, they have played a little stingier recently since uh, they made the coaching change. So maybe they deserve a little credit, but still, I thought Carolina really should have um, done better. And I get it. The conditions weren't great and Bridgewater missed a little time. But I mean, you're going to face adversity and you have to do better. Uh, but I think notwithstanding... The biggest issue in that game was Carolina's defense. And, I mean, this is the second week in a row where the defense just really just... <laughs> I mean, they should not be playing this poorly, in my opinion. Um, And, you know, the interesting thing is, after maybe the the Chargers game or the, the Cardinals game, I don't know, I, we just, I just felt like there was time maybe like late September where Carolina's defense was trending upwards and maybe it's just because they didn't play anyone good that could be the case but in this game in particular it just I'm not even sure what to say I I just I mean it was a combination of individual breakdowns a combination of just schematic issues and again I mentioned this last week I do feel sorry for Phil Snow because the talent level right now on the defense is not very good. It just isn't. Now, how much say and responsibility does he have for that? Are the other coaches versus the personnel um, directors of GM? I don't know. But, I mean, Brian Burns and Jeremy Chin, they had really good games. Stanley Thomas Oliver, the seventh rounder who played 15 snaps, graded really well. Um, F.A. Obata had another good game. My issues, again, with this run defense was the interior. Uh, Derek Brown did not play that great this week. I mean, his overall performance level, I think, should be below average for what a top 10 pick should be performing at. You know, coincidentally, he did play um, better than I thought as a pass rusher this week. So I'll give him credit for that. But... His run defense was not good. And again, it starts at the line of scrimmage and run defense. And I, I get it. The Panthers were missing Zach Kerr. So they were, I mean, they certainly needed the reinforcements. The linebackers didn't really have a great game. Shaq uh, probably had his one of his worst games of this season. And then, but but I was actually encouraged by Jeremy Chin. I know, like, earlier in the day, um, the NFL awarded him Defensive Rookie of the Month, but, which I did not really agree with. Um, you know, I've voiced some of my concerns with him. A lot of my issues with Chin um, are a deal with how he does in coverage. So a lot of those tackles that he's getting are mainly down the field, uh, you know, deep in coverage after he allows like a 15 and 20-yard reception. Um, but I, I can't really, you know, dislike his performance. He was the best graded 
player on defense, according to Pro Football Focus. His pass rushing grade was really high. He came on a few blitzes that really um, affected Matt Ryan. And then his coverage, I thought, was the best of the season. So this game, he definitely deserved the hype. And again, I'm, I'm really hoping the consistency becomes a factor with him. And like I mentioned earlier, Burns is not a good game from him. I mean, you just, what else can you say? I mean, that spin sack that he had that was negated because of a holding was really unfortunate because it was just such a beautiful move. I mean, he sets up with a speed rush and he immediately like comes back inside to um, sack Matt Ryan, but it was negated because of a penalty, which was unfortunate. Uh, so, I mean, overall, this defense it has a lot of work to do. And at 3-5, and five, I think we have a good idea of what this team is. And they're a team that's average to below average. And looking at their upcoming schedule, I feel like they'll be competitive in these games against Tampa and Kansas City and Detroit too. Um, and they might win, again, three or four of these games, finish a 6-10, and 7-9 record, but the talent level just has to improve. Uh, I mean, Troy Pride... I liked him as a prospect, but he's really, really struggling out there. I mean, we've said all we have to say about Tahir Whitehead and Dante Jackson. Really, I don't know. Like, he's had a pretty good, an okay season. I mean, certainly played well against Chicago, but last week it just wasn't really encouraging. And and so it's it's going to be interesting to see what this team does for the remainder of the season. Um, you know, the reintegration of McCaffrey will be helpful to this team. I mean, they really, really need it. And I mean, but defensively right now, this team has to get better. Um, Shaq Thompson has been okay, but the linebackers in general need a talent upgrade. Um, so I'll be curious to see if Russell Douglas will return. Uh, it looks like he was on the COVID list. So hopefully you know, he's able to um, get healthy because they, they just need the depth. I mean, guys like Troy Pride, he's a fourth-round rookie for a reason. He should be developing and watching how this team performs uh, before he gets an opportunity to just go out there and start guarding guys like Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. But I think this is where we expected Carolina to be, and... A lot of people were upset about that game. I wasn't nearly as upset. I think my expectations for this team are pretty even-kneeled. And I think that if you accept that what this team is, it's a young team that's rising in the development. Their, their development's not necessarily linear, but it's potentially improving throughout the season. Then you'll kind of get a better sense of how to appreciate them as opposed to just getting stressed out over, you know, Wins and losses. Now, I get it. Losing to Atlanta does... No one's ever going to like losing to them. Um, but, I mean, you have a rookie coaching staff, too. And they're also learning on the job. So, 3-5, and five, a game against Kansas City this cup, upcoming Sunday. Island. I know it looks daunting from the outside, but just a few weeks ago, no one gave Oakland a chance. I mean, they were 12.5-point favorites, and they went in there and won out right now. I'm not expecting Kansas... Or excuse me, Carolina to do the same thing. But I think... With McCaffrey back, they can potentially um, control the line of scrimmage, control the game, uh, keep the ball away from Mahomes, and maybe just keep it close. But, I mean, the way the defense is playing, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, Kansas City could score in, like, two to three plays each time. 
but that's going to do it for this episode. And we will have a Chiefs preview for you hopefully this Thursday. And as I conclude this episode, I just want to tell everyone, I mean, tomorrow is election day. So please use your voice to go out and vote if you haven't already. Um, you know, elections, they come and go. And this is your one opportunity to really voice how you feel about what directions you want um, to change or keep within your local state and obviously at the federal level too. So uh, take advantage of that, go out and vote and we'll have a preview for you on Thursday for this upcoming week's opponent, the Kansas City Chiefs. Thank you and you have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.